0: This is the Ty Butler Show on 98.7 ESPN. The Knicks getting to
1: the second round, or the Knicks getting out of this series. We're talking about the Knicks winning this game today, and I I tell Jacob he's got to get to a game. What do you say, Jacob?
0: I say I got to get to a game for the next round, you know. So he's already calling his shot. Why not? I, I like to be in the building. He's already he already has the Knicks
1: locked into a second round matchup with either the Bucks or the Heat despite the fact that they haven't yet gotten out of the first round. Yeah. So you're touching the money. You don't believe in like jinxing or any of that.
0: Not that I say I don't believe in jinxing, but I mean the Knicks are going to blow a 3-1 lead to the Cavs it- against Donovan Mitchell. I mean, if that did happen, oh man, how would oh you feel? Oh my god!
1: If there's any team in the league who's who is going to blow a three-one lead, would it be the Knicks?
0: Uh, I will put Knicks second. First would be any team led by Doc Rivers.
1: Oh yeah, that's a good point.
0: I was actually watching that uh, Sixers Nets game yesterday, and
1: the Nets almost won. And I'm like, all Doc Rivers is missing from his resume is blowing a three-nothing lead, because that that you know he's he's the king of blowing three-one leads. Throw, blowing a three-nothing lead would be. Doc outdoing himself. The Knicks. The Knicks aren't going to blow this series, right? You know, Bobby Marks. We had him on a nine fifteen. He doesn't seem to think this series is over. He he says there's still a chance. You know the Cavs are going to go home. They're the desperate team. And. We'll see what you get out of Donovan Mitchell, who's just just struggled the last two games, 14 of 37, and actually didn't play all that particularly particularly well in Game 2. It was just a coming-out party for Darius Garland in his first playoff series, who scored 26 in the first half. Donovan was great in Game 1. Hasn't really been the case since then. You expect him to be better at home, but I just don't know. Because at this point... Eight games into it, Knicks have won six of them, and they just look like the better team. The Cavs, all year long, were a great defense. The Knicks, what's helping their offense is that even when they miss shots, they get the rebound, and then they get second- and third-chance opportunities. The Cavs just have no answer for their bigs. I just don't understand. As as high as I am on Mitchell Robinson, I think he is, he has been phenomenal, as far as like what he's brought to this team. He's cut down on the immaturity, the the, the bad fouling. He He's going up with verticality. He's blocking shots, and he is rebounding at, at an impressive rate. I, I believe he was first in the NBA in offensive rebounds this year. As as impressive as he's been, Jared Allen and Evan Mobley are way too talented to just be getting destroyed by the Knicks bigs, and, and that's been an utter disappointment for the Cavs. Levert has been really good. Garland had six straight quarters of, of basketball where you couldn't even recognize him. Ricky Rubio still getting NBA minutes in 2023 is astonishing to me. And then Donovan Mitchell, as I said, just hasn't been the Donovan Mitchell we've known him to be in the playoffs. So that's that, that plays into why the Knicks are up 3-1. I just don't understand Jacob saying, I'll get to a second-round series— when he is a fan of a team that hasn't, you know, hasn't had the greatest of fortunes. I, I just you call calling your shot, I get it. But <sighs> I think I <I've, sighs> this could come back to bite you.
0: I mean, yeah, you're right. And I do feel good about this team. Um I do I do want to bring up a point that uh Carla brought up earlier, that the pressure is on the Knicks to close out and I think he made a great point. Um I feel better about them closing out in game five against the Cavs than I do in game six at the Garden. You feel better about them closing out in Game
1: 5 in Cleveland than you do at Game 6. I understand that because if they lose this game, then the pressure starts to shift. The pressure right now is 100% on Cleveland. You lose in Cleveland and it's 3-2 going back to MSG. Now you start to feel, oh oh boy, we don't want to go to a Game 7. We don't want to go from up 3-1 to a Game 7. So I understand that. I understand that. 800 Steve's calling us. He's in New York City right now. I'm struggling with my call screener right now. Here we go. Steve's in New York City. What's up, Steve?
2: Hey, how you doing, man? Uh, just want to give you credit for talking about the fight. Uh, boxing is something we don't really hear too often, so I appreciate you uh, talking about it. And I mean, real quick, uh, I really called about the Knicks. we about the fight. That was one of the weakest knockouts I've seen. And obviously, no one felt it but Ryan. Um, I, I was just told it was a liver shot. And, I mean, clearly it was a tough, tough punch that Ryan couldn't take. And all I had to say about it is, I mean, this is the biggest fight of Ryan's career, young career. Just the fact that he did not try to get up, which clearly shows it was a hard punch. I get it. But to the eye of the people that I was with,
1: that looked—that just looked Super weak, well, so think really about it. Okay. wait, Steve. Steve, don't yeah. just say it's just a liver shot, man. Like that, that that shot to that era, we've known it just from all our years, all our years watching boxing, what it can do to you. And he's taking it from Tank, who didn't even have a full wind up, so he caught him on that counter in a real, like a real good spot, to the point where it knocked him. It, it, it was d- delayed, so that's how you know it hurt because he didn't initially react to it. It looked like he was going to still fight and then he dropped to the one knee and he was just like, "Yeah, I can't I can't continue anymore." So, I don't view that I, as him being soft. It's just that's a hard hit from one of the hardest hitters in the weight class.
2: Not, not as being soft. I'm not going to call him soft. I wouldn't disrespect any fighter for being soft. Uh, but just a little lack of heart. And just the fact that he stepped he he got up as soon as the ref counted to 10. Well, he didn't try to get up before then. To me, I was just like, ah, come on. But, hey, it is what it is. You know, they're both great fighters. Hopefully they can do it again. I'm really calling about the Knicks. Okay. Really quick. Uh, I saw something where it said Thibodeau uh, stated that Julius Randle was still battling with the ankle. And if that's the case, okay, I think they should put Julius on limited minutes or just sit him so that he can fully heal from this ankle. I think the Knicks can win this series without Julius. And if they don't, they clearly don't deserve to go to the next round. Um, and and that's, that's what I'll say. And, I mean, listen, they're playing great. I think the pressure is a little bit on, the, on Cleveland. Um, but the Knicks need to go in and show their dominance on Wednesday night. Listen, Philly did what they need to do without Joel Embiid. They didn't give Brooklyn a chance. And that's what great teams does. The Knicks need to go in there and dominate them. Let them know you guys aren't better than us and finish them off. Game five
1: Wednesday night. Thousand percent agree, man. Great phone call by Steve. This this is a Thank series you. that if you're the Knicks and you have legitimate aspirations of of advancing far in the playoffs, knock them out. It, this the the Cavs right now are destined to be headed to Cancun. They're going to return home. Their building is going to be electric. I think you're going to get the best version of Donovan Mitchell since Game One, and you still have an opportunity to win that game. So go out there, handle business, and move on to the next series. If Even if you are the most optimistic Nick fan, you didn't imagine this series go, ending in five games with your team, your team advancing. So you have a chance to get it done. I don't know that I agree with your Randall take. This is a guy that missed three weeks of basketball. If he is not going to be someone who is in jeopardy of re-injuring himself, then I think you continue to play him as long as he's effective. He only played 27 minutes today, so in the fourth quarter, Tibbs just said, "You know what? This is the the five, the the, the five man unit that gives me the best chance to win. I'm going to roll with that." And you know that that's what they did. So you you mentioned um, Thibodeau talking about Julius Randle. Uh, so here was Tibbs on Julius after the game.
3: Hey, Julius is our horse, you know. Like he he he's given us everything that he has. You know, a lot of guys would, probably would, probably wouldn't even be playing. So I knew that with the quick turnaround, probably impact him more than than you know most players. He, you know, he, he was out an extended amount of time. You know, we we got multiple days here uh, before the, the next game. He'll he'll get a chance to, to you know get some recovery time. But I think that's a big part of it. So, but the thing I love about him is he gives you everything he has, and he's done that to to come back though you know, the way he did to be ready for game one, credit to him. And, and we need him. He's he's our horse. We know that.
1: They absolutely need him. So if you're a Nick fan feeling like you don't need Julius Randle, the, the coach doesn't even believe you. Uh, just to, to go back to something I mentioned earlier, before we get to, to baseball in the NFL, uh, the question was posed to me, and my, my mentions were flooded after this game. Partly because that that fraud, Dave Rothenberg, is out here tweeting R.J. Barrett gifts to me as if he wasn't critical of R.J. Barrett himself. So all of a sudden, he's a big R.J. Barrett fan. Uh, Do I owe him an apology? Absolutely not, because the the criticism was warranted. This was a guy who was underwhelming in year four. This was a guy who we're going to enter next season wondering, is there a way we can get him off the roster? This was a guy who, compared to last year, suffered dips in points, rebounds, and assists, and shot the worst three-point percentage of his career. This is a guy who, in multiple fourth quarters late in games, was benched. This is a guy who you had high expectations for and simply did not meet them. So today, he was awesome. He scored 26 points. He he shot a high percentage from the field, 9 of 18. And if you just look at the twos, he was, what, 9 of 12. So he did his job. He was a spark. He was an engine. And he did everything that you wanted. He was here in R.J. Barrett's chance. We would love to see him not miss five free throws, but neither here nor there. If he continues to play like this, then we can start to, to change the tenor of the conversation about what his future looks like in this Nick uniform. But the idea that we are, we are now, anyone critical of him owes him an, an apology is embarrassing. And for my guy Ray Santiago, put that on Twitter earlier. Delete it before people see it. Before more people see it. It's embarrassing. And you can rip me for the Cavs in five take because it's fair. Right? The, the Cavs in five take did not age well, and I'm here to, you know, to take it. I thought the Cavs would win this series in five games, and I had my reasons. But this idea that I should be apologizing for criti- for criticizing R.J. Barrett is a disgrace. There is There is no way— I am going to come on here and apologize for that because he played one great game. You talked to the wrong damn
0: person. You're listening to the best of ESPN New York tonight.
1: DeJounte Murray walking off the court and it looked like he got into a face of an official and said something uh, it was really close to his face so that might be a, a fine or a suspension comment look I, I'm the first person to get on officials because I think across sports it just gets worse and maybe it's a product of us having uh enhanced tv angles where we can see multiple different views and, and now it's highlighted just how bad officiating is but you you can't be a player getting into an official's face and and, and bumping him the way De, Dejounte Murray did. So uh, that's just awful to see. Eight hundred nine one nine three seven seven six. Before we get back to the phone call, I wanted to touch on baseball. So the Yankees had played have played seven series so far this year. Seven. They had won five of them, had tied one. That was the four game set against the Twins, where they lost the first two and then won the second two. Today was the first time they lost a the series all season long, and it was because they simply couldn't overcome Vlad Guerrero Jr., uh, who who keeps tearing them apart. So they lost to the Blue Jays 5-1, and Vlad Jr., before the series, I believe it was Friday, talked about how he just uh, would never have a, a, an interest in, in playing for the Yankees. This is a guy who's who says it, it runs deep in his family for some reason, he just uh doesn't doesn't want to play for them ever and he continues to make them pay because he hit a home run um what was that friday and now he hit a home run today again uh, against the yankees and he continues to kill them continues continues to kill them vlad junior is uh, becoming a thorn in their side and it's something that they might have to deal with going forward. The Blue Jays are a pretty good team. They're 13-9 and with the Yankees, 13-9. and At top of division are the Rays. And I know folks want to keep talking about they haven't played anybody. But when you are 19-3, and <laughs> at some point, we're going to have to start taking you seriously. So it's still too early to look at standings. But the Yankees right now are tied for fourth place, tied for third place. Uh, You got the Rays and the Orioles ahead. The problem this series, they just couldn't score runs. They scored five total runs uh, in the entirety of this series against the Blue Jays. And you look at injuries, and uh, they're starting to mount for the Yankees. The the Harrison Bader, he's still weeks away. Uh, Per Aaron Boone a couple of days ago, we know that Josh Donaldson, uh, he suffered a setback, so his grade one hamstring injury is going to keep him out. Carlos Rodon, who was healing from the elbow injury, experienced some back tightness, but apparently he's throwing. So who knows what's going to happen there? The Yankee offense this weekend just did not show up. We yesterday Volpe hit his first big league home run, a two run shot that it was immediately erased by the bullpen. So it almost spoiled another big Volpe moment because. I said it was his first home run. Obviously, it wasn't his first home run. He had the, the home run when he went back-to-back with Jets, but he had a home run yesterday that gave the Yankees a 2 nothing lead, and it almost spoiled another special Volpe moment because it, the bullpen immediately blew it. We know that first game where he hit his home run, uh, the—, the, the, the Ch- Clay Holmes blew the game, so we couldn't really enjoy the fact that him and Judge went back-to-back, similar to how when Judge first came up, his first home run was back-to-back with Tyler Austin. Uh, but yesterday, D.J. LeMahieu was the hero, basis-loaded RBI single to win the game. Today, ultimately, they fall short, and they lose their first series of the season. But the injury started at Mount Clark Smith uh, retired the first thirteen batters of the game. I was at the Nick game, so I wasn't watching it intently. But Jake Montgomery, who's on social media here, uh, we were both talking about it because you know Clark Smith has struggled this year. Came into it with a, came into this start with an ERA north of eight seven, and we're thinking, all right, here's going to be another one of those games where you know he's miserable. He doesn't last long. He gives up a ton of runs, but he actually retired the first thirteen batters. Struck out a career high eight. But he just faltered in that sixth inning, and we brought up Anthony Volpe. He committed an error that allowed the Blue Jays to go on their run. So, unfortunately, that sparked things for them, and the Yankees uh, drop the series to the Jays. It's it's early, but you know what folks are going to say? That offense didn't do enough to improve it, so the Yankees tomorrow— are going to go to Minnesota to play three before heading to Texas to play four. Uh, So that'll be a nice little seven-game road trip for the Yankees. Meanwhile, the Mets, I mentioned earlier uh, last hour, they fell uh, on the road in San Francisco. Five to four was the final score. Francisco Alvarez hit a home run, so that's a bright spot for the Mets. But unfortunately, the bullpen uh, gave it up. Drew Smith took the loss. So the Mets actually end their 10-game road trip Seven and three, and it's something you'll take. Ten games, you got Oakland, you got LA, and you've got San Francisco. You you absolutely sign up for seven and three. You would have taken five and five, and once you sweep the A's, you take you take six and four. Seven and three is something you absolutely sign up for. You don't love dropping two of three to the lowly Giants, but when you look as good as you did against the Dodgers, and you you can come back home four games over five hundred uh, uh, after a road trip, and you know, on the season fourteen and eight six games above five hundred. So that's something you have to feel really good about if you're the Mets. And you got some good news today from the camp of uh, Justin Verlander. He threw three innings, forty three pitches in a simulated game. So if all goes well, he could return early May against the Tigers. So that would obviously boost uh, the top of their rotation. That Scherzer. 10-game suspension annoys me It's a little because it, we're, we're putting too much power in the hands of umpires when it comes to subjective calls. So apparently uh, he had uh, a sticky situation on his glove and it was stickier than they wanted it to be and they warned him about it. He washed it off with alcohol and it came back and it, Phil, what was his name, Phil Cousy, Uh, was the umpire who's now ejected three guys this year because of uh, uh, foreign substances. I just don't love that we're putting that much power in the hands of umpires when it comes to subjective calls. Scherzer, no one was coming to Mets-Dodgers to watch the umpires do their thing. We wanted to see Max Scherzer on the mound. Now, if he's clearly in violation of a rule, I get it, but this just feels to me too subjective. Like, how are we going to... Regulate this, and you know Scott Boris who's Scherzer's agent, said the same thing. There are no units to stickiness to quantify. How do you appropriately uh, enforce this? This is a, you know, that hazy situation that baseball finds itself in. Uh, how, what's what's considered too sticky? Like what's considered illegal? What, like where do we draw the line? And we're gonna allow umpires to just subjectively you know, come in and, and and affect games? What happens if we get late in the season? What's gonna happen in October? So this is something baseball has to figure out. I don't love the ten game suspension for for Scherzer just because it's I don't know too too much control in the hands of the umpire. But uh, Scherzer was going to appeal. The Mets informed him that it was just best to take the suspension because he probably wasn't going to win it anyway, and we'll see him when he gets back. So once the Mets get Scherzer and Verlander top the rotation, you got to be feeling pretty good about things. Also, want to touch quickly on uh, on on the football nugget. So Ian Rappaport, uh today came out with a tweet and said, after a dormant couple of weeks, the Jets and Packers recently re engage on trade talks surrounding star quarterback Aaron Rodgers. Sources say a deal is not imminent, but the two sides are at least talking with hopes a deal can finally be done this week. The Packers are intent on getting a first-rounder, which they should be. The Jets are like, no thanks, we're not giving you a first-rounder, which they should be uh, in the camp of. It, it, this has to come down to, you know, the Jets have two second-round picks, 42 and 43 back-to-back. You give the Packers one of those picks, a future conditional second rounder that's maybe tied to you know the Jets making a conference championship or Rodgers agreeing to come back for a second season. As presently constructed, a forty year old quarterback who we have no idea what's going to happen with at the conclusion of next season. You are not giving up a first round pick for that. I'm I'm sorry. You absolutely under no circumstance can do it. I do think this deal is going to get done. We've got the draft on Thursday. And the Packers would like to, in the year one of the Jordan Love audition, would like to surround him with some guys who can help this growing process, who can help this maturation process with the hopes of picking up a fifth-year option and him becoming your franchise quarterback. In order for you to see what he's fully capable of, you have to give him and arm him some, some suitable pieces so that he can be successful.
0: You're listening to the best of ESPN New York tonight.
1: So Saquon Barkley finally spoke out today uh and he was, you know, pretty much asked about like what the situation is uh with the Giants and it's it's a little mum on you know the, his future. Want to pull up the quotes for you. He said, "Where do I stand with the Giants right now?" It's like someone said the other day, it's still April. I haven't had conversations with Shane too much, so the best way I can handle it is to keep working. Whatever happens, happens. There are things I can't really control right now. All I can control is how I wake up every morning and stay positive with my goals and my passion. Even though I may not be with the team right now and not in the building, I don't think anyone with the Giants is concerned about my work ethic and my teammates aren't worried about how I'm preparing. So I Listen, so here's the thing with Saquon Barkley. I understand being frustrated, but this is the nature of the landscape in the NFL when it comes to running backs. It, w- it would be a, a disservice to the entirety of the team if Joe Shane paid Saquon Barkley big money. As great as Saquon is, he has an injury history, and it's not a position of importance to the point where you have to overpay and overspend. We've seen time and time again, these aren't contracts that age well. You get to Super Bowl Sunday, and we're breaking down the matchups. How quickly are we talking about the running back, the star running back? We're focused on the quarterback. We're focused on the offensive line, pass rush. And, yes, if you have really good running backs, that plays a factor. But the point is you can find really good running backs anywhere. And Saquon, look, he, he he made a strong case for being one of the best running backs in all of football last year when, you know, his resurgent season, he rushed for over 1,300 yards, had 10 touchdowns. He was the only offensive weapon the Giants really had. And part of why Daniel Jones was able to be so elusive was because of, of Saquon being a threat out of the backfield. And he's also a, a running back who can, you know, he can line him up as a receiver and he can catch. But it's just because of how we've diluted the value of that position, it just would be malpractice, organizational malpractice to give you big-time, long-term money. It's not a contract that historically ages well. Look what happened with Ezekiel Elliott and the Cowboys. He's not even on the team anymore. Christian McCaffrey got paid. And Christian McCaffrey's better than Saquon. But the team that paid McCaffrey... Doesn't even employ him anymore. He got traded to the Liners. So it's because of like how violent the sport is in injuries, and it's Saquon having a history, and the running back position not being what it once was. Like you feel bad for him because if there's anyone deserving of, uh, of being paid, it's him. The locker room presence, like just not even the on the field stuff. We we know how great he is, but being. A team leader, being a face of the franchise, someone who even in the midst of adversity and struggling, never you know came out of character. He's a, an ambassador, definitely someone you would feel comfortable being one of the faces of your of your organization. It's just not in the best interest in, in the health of the team to commit that kind of money to him. And and Barkley, like, he turned down a contract offer worth more than twelve and a half million a year. Uh, he he turned that down in November, and then after the season they offered him thirteen million a year, and he turned it down. So I I get wanting more, but when you got to pay your quarterback and you got to pay Dexter Lawrence and you, you got to you know pay other guys, it's hard for us to really commit to to big time money to you. So I, that's just the reality of the situation uh, for Saquon Barkley eight hundred nine one nine three seven seven six. Eli's in the car. What's up, Eli? What's up, man? How are you? Doing well, man. Talk to me. We're
4: talking Knicks right now. I, again, I'm I'm very happy about the season, but I, I'm looking bigger picture here. Let's just take a step back. What the Knicks have been quietly doing, which they haven't done in five years, is they're all of a sudden they're desirable. They're a place that people are gonna want to come play. We got a talented young core. Scratching together, good wins, and even our losses, we fought hard for them. You know what's changed? You know what I noticed? When was the last time you heard the name Dolan surrounding the Knicks? <laughs> when, was the last time you heard, when was the last time you heard a superstar's name surrounding the Knicks? They're just keeping their heads down. We're playing hardball. We're doing what we're doing. Listen to Tibbs. We're, we're playing ball, man. We're looking good. You're right. This season, listen, if they go all the way, I'll be happy. It's a cherry on top. But what I'm looking at, I, I just I see the brightest future ahead. Correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, who wouldn't want to come play in the mecca anymore? Now that you know, Mister Big Boss is out of the picture. All we need him to do is sign that check, man. Get that, get that young, talented superstar that wants to come join our core. Get Mister Dolan to sign that that check. We're good, man. We got a bright future ahead of us.
1: Listen, I, I appreciate the optimism, and it's it's something. That you should feel good about going forward because Jalen Brunson solved a major issue for you. You didn't have a point guard. You didn't just add one. You added one of the best in the NBA. Let's call it what it is. Think about where you were last year and where you are now and what's changed. You've had the growth of some of your young players, but the biggest addition has been Jalen Brunson. And what he's brought to the table and how effective he is as a scoring point guard who's also unselfish and can get other guys going. And late in games, there is no one you'd rather have the ball in the hands of than Jalen Brunson because he's going to make the right play. And it's not that he's always going to hit the the, the biggest shot, which you trust him to do, but he's going to make the right play. If the shot is there for him to take, he'll take it, and you feel confident he's going to make it. If there's a play to be made because... He's being blitzed or trapped, and there's there's a pass that needs to happen. He's going to make that pass. And Jalen Brunson uh, caught up with ESPN earlier today and was, was asked what the key was or what's going to be the key to closing out this series in Game 5.
0: Physicality, uh, just continuing to play with a lot of physicality, um, not giving anything easy, and then playing team ball on the offensive end, just making the right play.
1: He also was asked what the guys did to regain the lead in the fourth quarter. Uh, we just kept fighting. Uh, they're a good
2: team. They're going to continue to fight. And uh, we just got to continue to get stops, and uh, keep playing off each other,
1: and now uh, just stay poised. What does it mean to have RJ. Uh, doing what he did the last few games.
2: I mean, it's unreal. I've said this before. and a game of basketball sometimes doesn't go your way, but I mean, his demeanor, his mindset, it never changes, and uh, it showed the past couple games.
1: Yes, yeah, and it's something that they need to continue to have happen for him, which is why I said I'm not giving it. I'm not doning an apology. If he continues to play well, then it's great for the Knicks' trajectory. Think about how how much be- as good as you feel right now. Think about how much better you would feel about the outlook of their future. If R.J. Barrett actually transformed into a star. And, and like like a perennial all-star type player, a guy you know could win you games night in and night out, night out with Jalen Brunson, with Julius Randle. And now you've got a three-headed monster. I think that's the part that's frustrating, that we see it in flashes, and it's happened over the course of four years. It just hasn't been consistent enough. For us to feel comfortable with the team having given him that $100 million extension. And it's not aging well. So, yes, give him credit. Scored 19 in Game 3. Scored 26 today. But we need to see it more consistently. We need to see it more consistently. That's all I'm saying. Let's head to Jersey City where we talk to Dave. What's up, Dave?
3: Hey, Tom, let's start off. And I have to give you the Westbrook when you said Brunson is unselfish. So I'm going to give you the what? That's the Westbrook for you. Little Tyke is—he's—I'm five nine. I, I should play. I, was, I should be called a jock. Little Tyke is a jock, but he's doing. some When you watch me, does some great things. Um, I was talking to your caller, the call people that take the calls at ESPN—they some of the greatest people because they have great patience to um communicate with the people that call in. So I give them five stars. There you go. Cleveland accounting department made a big mistake getting rid of Kevin Love, but I'm gonna tell you, New York fans be happy. The spirit of the Garden is going off the charts. Go New York! Go New York! Go! There you go. Right, you do a great, you do a great job every day, man.
1: Love you. Thank you, man. Appreciate the love. I, I listen. Bill Simmons brought this up on his podcast as well, and I agree with him. The Cavs just let Kevin Love go. Why? Like, you were a team that was pretty good, but you're not good enough to just let a guy like that go. And you just let him go for nothing. Could he have helped you in this series? Absolutely. Look at your bench. You're getting nothing from your bench. And the fact that they just allowed him to to just go, get bought out,
0: and go to Miami, just never made any sense to me. And I was was telling Dave that to me, Kevin Love, every time he matched up against the Knicks this season with the Cavs, he killed us this year. Absolutely. He's bombed from three. He's probably wanted their better three-point shooters off the catch-and-shoot.
1: And And that's something they could benefit from now, that the fact that their guards are penetrating and and being erased at the rim, you would love to have guys who could kick out and and, and shoot threes. Lavert's the only guy hitting threes right now. Now, Jetty Osman is hit and miss, but they don't have consistent three-point shooting. And what we know is, in this league, that's what you need. You you need that in this league. And the Cavs simply don't have it. They simply don't have it right now. So uh, that, 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 to me, just didn't make any sense. And, look, the Knicks aren't complaining
0: about it. You're listening to the best of ESPN New York tonight.
1: One of the greatest coaches, if not the greatest coach of all time, but also Phil Jackson, an absolute clown. So I came across this on Twitter yesterday. Uh, Phil Jackson says that he hasn't watched the NBA since the bubble. And the quote was they even had slogans on the floor in the baseline. It was trying to bring a certain audience to the game and they didn't know it was turning other people off. People want to see sports as non-political. So here for all the clowns and like the actual morons who think that simply putting end racism or like black lives matter is political. That's not political. You like it's so easy to to sound like a buffoon. When you're, when you're engaging in conversations like this. It's not political. Calling for social justice, calling for equality, that's not political. Phil Jackson, I mean, with the, when you go back to the, the posse comments he had about LeBron James, continues to show you who he is. And I'm glad Jalen Rose on his Twitter ripped him earlier because it's so true. These same black players who Phil Jackson just doesn't care about, he was coaching and helped him become the greatest coach of all time. Winning 11 championships. So, I mean, it's just absolute clown behavior. You're not watching the NBA anymore. No one cares. Like it, 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 It's just it's so fascinating that simply saying Black Lives Matter or in racism as a sign on, on, on a court causes you to not watch the NBA anymore. What a freaking doofus, Phil Jackson. What an absolute, what an absolute, absolute clown. I'm so glad Jalen Rose ripped him. Anyway, we had a phenomenal day today. Started at the Garden for Game Four between the Knicks and the Cavs, and the arena was rocking. It was just, it it was just as a as a diehard hoops fan, it was very very humbling, but also exciting. Humbling understanding, like man, like this is. This is what it's all about. There's, there's a level of humility that comes in, where you know you work hard to get to a certain point, and you, you're very appreciative of of, of being in, in in situations. And that was fun. The Nick fans, you know, I, they have some fun with me, and I have some fun with them on Twitter, and we go back and forth. But it, it's a very loyal fan base that's passionate, that is starving to see this team attain any level of success and they got to watch one of their their best playoff wins in in God knows how long because R.J. Barrett and Jalen Brunson
0: arrived, and they showed up, and they delivered. This is the Ty Butler Show on 98.7 ESPN.